Welcome to Friars and Film. We are three Catholic priests from the Order of Preachers, and we're here, as always, to talk about the movies. Well, here we are. We have finished a trilogy of epic movies. Father Allen struggled the most on our caravan. Father Luke enjoyed it the most, and I was uh, encouraging us to finish. I was driving us onwards. So we're, we're, we're now to light, light films, actually briefly, because we're doing Roman Holiday, and then we'll go back to heavy films next time. We will announce it at the end. So um, 1953, Roman Holiday is a romantic comedy. Haven't done many of these on Friars and Film. It's between Gregory Peck... Um, who I first saw as Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird, and then I saw him in North by Northwest, all kinds of great films. And it is Audrey Hepburn's premiere. It is her rookie film. It took her from theater and put her on the map. This is post-war 1953. She won Best Actress, an Oscar. That's pretty impressive. First film, major Academy Award. So we usually start with general impressions, I'll give mine. Um, this is a very lovely film. It's fun. It's featuring the sights of Rome. One might wonder, is this a romantic comedy just to get... I mean, this is what Father Allen had asked. Is this just to encourage Roman tourism post-war? Because it is kind of... It's, it's a tour of the, of the Eternal City. The plot is very simple, um, but I, I like simple plots, right? You have an American journalist. You have a... Princess, the Princess Anne of a nondescript Eastern European country who basically runs away, want to know what normal people are like, and uh, runs around town with this guy. They fall in love, but they, they know that they can't stay in love, so she returns to the throne. Yeah, not complicated, but I, I, for, a, for a movie from the 50s, my main impression is it was more fun and engaging than most black-and-white films ever. It takes very little effort to get involved. I think this is probably one of the most palatable older films for a modern audience. Other impressions? Reverend Fathers. Well, can I be very honest here? Um, my <laughs> first impression while watching the first half hour of this movie was why the heck was this proposed by Father Timothy to watch <laughs> and to discuss? Because um, like, what are we going to talk about aside from the fact that, yes, Audrey Hepburn is lovely and Gregory Peck is cool um, and Rome is a great city. Those are, that was my initial impression. But, um, but, but uh, I, do, I do have a, a, um, one broad thought about it, which I'm happy to share in a little bit here. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was certainly enjoyable. I think I'm glad to have seen it, mainly just because my sisters have always told me that it's a pretty good movie. That's it? That's the big payoff? <laughs> okay. Well, Roman Holiday is pretty big in the uh, present-day Roman tourist sphere. Every little shop you go to, every time you, you have a chance to buy postcards, there's pictures of uh, Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn on a Vespa on a little moped. <laughs> 
Or them next to the uh, Boca de la Verita, the mouth of truth. Uh, which, by the way, has a huge line in front of it. If you go today, you can't just walk up and stick your hand in there. You got to sit there for thirty minutes, you know. And there's probably a little cover charge. I'm not sure about that. You have to double check me. But yeah, the line is is not negligible. This movie really does function as an amazing advertisement for tourism to Rome. You know, it's like a different kind of Rome. You know, there's the Rome of ancient history, which was a real empire and a real center of civilization. There's the Rome of the Bible, which is a little bit adjacent and in tension with God's plans. Then there's the Rome of the Catholic Church, the Rome of medieval period, the Rome of the Reformation. And then there's this post-war Rome, which is like a playground one thing that you don't get just from the movie posters is who they are. So when you're looking at the movie posters, you think, oh, these are just two lovers and they're just having a good time in Rome. But it's a little more interesting because it's basically this princess and a reporter. There's an interesting way in which they can't reveal too much to each other the whole time. You know, there's this bond established, nevertheless. And then... The, the princess desires to be normal. All the normal people want to know about the princess, but it's sort of flipped at the end. I guess as a uh, as a, someone who values history and, and epics preceding our own, regret seeing great positions in society, you know, royalty or nobility, made to look boring. This princess, all she really wants to do is do what everyone else is doing. She, she doesn't really value her own role in society. That's kind of my stodgy complaint about this movie. That's taken, but I guess, can I just add one thought to your yeah, last yeah. thought, which is just that, I mean, um, so yes, there is that element of her resenting her big royal job, so to speak, but it ends, I, I thought, in a very respectful way towards that job and kind of presents her as sort of like, you know, like, like a Queen Elizabeth II who just has this sense of duty to that job and her sense of respect for it and a willingness, therefore, to say goodbye to this guy who she had this little, you know, fun day with um, because of her respect for the honor and worth of her role as princess. Yeah, and there's probably a tradition of kings and royalty going incognito and appearing among the people and things like that. And you can even liken this to the incarnation where God becomes man. And the other thing is that in this time period, in the second part of the 20th century, royalty is becoming more and more like a figure office. It, it does sort of stretch the original point of royalty, which was to actually govern and not just to be seen and to kind of keep up appearances like it's even a joke at this time that her her opinions on geopolitical affairs are known to be totally unimportant and just like yeah my my quick thoughts on what have what you both said um there is there are elements similar in other films right like people like that notion again the the incarnation i'm not going to go so far with that and say Yes, let's go further into Audrey Hepburn and the Incarnation. Um, I mean, she was 
Christian, baptize your children, um, all that stuff. But but there is something, right? There's there's this appeal of that which is highest becoming lowest. Now, the incarnation is the highest instance. But in much lesser ways, we are sort of, you know, there's that word, the kapax dei. Um, we have a capacity for God. And that's not just this neutral thing of like, well, sure, I, as a human being, I can... I have a capacity for God. Like, there's also uh, affection, and I, I love that Luigi Giussani word, which isn't proper theology, but he talks about correspondence. Like, there's something that matches and draws and connects you. And so whenever we see any story of something higher becoming lower and common and in our midst, that really deeply appeals to the human psyche and to the human soul. Um, the incarnation being the highest and most important instance, but other elements of storytelling playing into that, like the prince and the pauper trading places, trading spaces in Philadelphia. I haven't seen the movie fully. Um, everybody told me in Philly I should see that. Um, <laughs> or you see like the King's Speech, right? The King's Speech 10 years ago, which won Best Picture, kind of, it brought together this friendship between George VI of England post or in the middle of World War II and his butler, right? Or people love to... I mean, I haven't... I'll be. I'll go on the record for saying I haven't seen The Crown or Victoria, um, these these series of queens, and not speaking against them at all. Um, or people think of, like, the movie Shakespeare in Love, which wrongly, wrongly ousted for Best Picture, Saving Private Ryan, and Thin Red Line, which is a total crime. I think it was, like, like 1995 or 98 or something like that. Um... But my, my whole point being is, like, it, it is a fascinating dynamic, and my point is it's, it's built into us. We, are, we have an instinct for this of when the highest things come in contact with the common things. I actually read about this in a little essay on Leonardo da Vinci. And da Vinci's going through four aspects of beauty, like beautiful art, imitating beautiful life. And some of it's kind of obvious stuff. Like, he talks about the first principle is wholeness. So a whole person's face is, like, more beautiful than, like, you know, their ear or whatever. A whole hand is more beautiful to depict than like a thumbs up, which is fun, but whatever. There's similitude. So if art is too abstract, it's not highly beautiful. It has to imitate life and similitude, real life as God designed it. There's also composition of place. So a photograph with somebody kind of running out of the frame is not exactly beautiful. You want people in proper places. Um, a random line shouted out in a conversation doesn't fit. You need to time your words, etc., to make things com- compose. But as a fourth principle of da Vinci, which most caught my attention, and I think this is what we're getting at here, and he says every beautiful work of art, like everything beautiful in nature, is it contains both the average and the ideal, which is actually very thought-provoking. Right? Like take like National Geographic, that famous photo of the girl with like those amazing eyes. Her eyes are amazing because she's wearing a very common shawl, right? If she was dressed up like a princess, it might not be as striking because it's just kind of a lot going on. And I think the same thing, too. um, You know, Audrey Hepburn is beautiful because she's just kind of like running around in a moped with this guy. It's just like she kind of shines out, I mean, especially when you know her status. So maybe I'm thinking too deeply about this. But, but I love, I was just reading about that this week on Da Vinci, about there's something very fascinating and beautiful when you mix the average and the ideal. I mean, even take other things, too. It doesn't have to do with cinema. It can do with, like, the moral life. Like, I've thought about this, is that here we are with this average, struggling human nature, but it's a beautiful thing to strive for the ideal 
or the process of education, right? You have these capacity to learn, but you're striving towards the higher ideas. Um, I do think those elements are just, maybe it's not particular to Roman Holiday, but the Prince and the Pauper, this sort of tale. But there's, there's something about storytelling which works on some deep, basic themes. And even though this is a light film, etc., I do think it, it picks up on one of the major strands, which is that sort of the average and the ideal meeting. That's why I find it captivating, even just from the first five minutes. You're like, oh, cool, I want to know what happens, because this appeals mm-hmm. to me. You, mm-hmm. know? But what, you, you, have a, you have a revelation, Father Luke. What is your, <laughs> what, is your uh, well, what are you holding I, in? Well, I mean, I actually can't really um, follow up too well on these huge con- contemplative discoveries that you both made about the Incarnation and Roman Holiday. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I guess my one of my takeaways was just um, it, it just made me reflect on just movies uh, on American cinema. Um, it's it's very clear that yeah, this movie is. Um, yeah, maybe Audrey Hepburn's first film. I, th- I thought it was maybe one, like one of her first, but yeah, maybe maybe, it, maybe I'm wrong on that. But it's um, yeah, sort of these. It's sort of like the first like big star vehicle for her. It establishes her um, to the American public as a important actress. Um, and Gregory Peck, it's a star vehicle for him. And so it made me just think about just the nature of star celebrity in cinema, in American cinema, and um, it's interesting because. That's also a dynamic which is at play in the movie itself. So we have this character played by Gregory Peck, who, right, is the the reporter, and then his friend, this um, sort of lascivious photographer guy, right, and um, they're in a sense um, villainized just by virtue of their work. You know, there's a sort of general portrayal of them as trying, almost having this kind of parasitical relationship to the princess, right. Um, because they want to kind of exploit um, her vulnerability and, um, and, and, and have this news story, this photography um, of her, and then sell that to the public, right? So there's this whole dynamic where we're kind of villainizing the press and, and are concerned about the wealth, welfare of this princess, right? Okay, so there's that element. Now, apologies if I'm getting too meta on all this, but um, when we take a step back, it just gets kind of interesting because a lot of people have commented on how as Americans, yeah, we do not have royalty, but we do have celebrity and we do have in particular film celebrity. So really for all intents and purposes, what is our royalty in America? It's, it's, it's our, it's our actors, right? And so who is Audrey Hepburn to us as Americans? She, and um, at the time this movie came out, she is our young girlish princess (laughs) she is our princess as americans and given that she's our princess what do we want to do we want to see her as a princess and so you know it makes sense that this movie comes out where it's like okay here's audrey hepburn as a princess and hey american public you get to go to the theater and watch her live out her life as a princess but then we're like well okay but we don't want to stop there yeah, it's fun to see Audrey Hepburn dressed up in these these glamorous costumes. Okay, that, that that's pretty cool. But we we, we want to see like behind the surface, beneath the surface, behind the scenes. We want to see Audrey Hepburn riding around Rome in a little scooter. We want to see her um, going to a cafe. We want to see her, you know, even get into this weird scene where she's cracking someone on the head with with a guitar. Not to get again too lascivious, but like yeah, the American public kind of wants to see a bedroom scene of her with this guy, Gregory Peck, you know, behind closed doors. Yeah, we, we, we want to see that, right? And so 
in a sense, like, yeah, the, the whole movie is in a sense feeding the American public with the, 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 um, the, the content, which, um, is, is being portrayed, um, negatively in the film, but that ends up working in the American public's favor because then this way we kind of get to have our cake and eat it too. We get to see our American princess behind the scenes, but we don't, we don't, we don't have to feel guilty about it because it's all under the guise of a movie, which is trying to, sh to present cameramen as not having good intentions potentially and wanting to protect the vulnerable princess. That's a really interesting point. So the film, contradicts performatively the overt message of the film exactly yeah, it gives us something that really shouldn't be desired and it tells us that we shouldn't desire it but it also gives it to us in a guilt-free way this is <laughs> one of the kind of very difficult to appreciate worries about movies is that they might be commonly voyeuristic i'm not going to elaborate on that <laughs> yeah but like but almost I, in essence that that is maybe a possibility yeah like yeah, like, I mean, I think you, you really bring that out, but I think that's something that I have thought about time to time, but not in an articulate way. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because there is that focus of characters, right? And, you know, I, I can name for you movies where I get really focused on the story and the character versus movies where I'm thinking about the actor, right? I mean, maybe the perfect blend. Let's jump from Aubrey Hepburn briefly to Denzel Washington. Can I do that? Is that legal? <laughs> I mean, it's like I've Denzel. I think has has the powerful ability where the first ten minutes you're like, here's another Denzel Washington film. He's a good actor, but he does he does have that way. I mean, Kenneth Branagh is this way as well. They're they are, they're so notable that you know, okay, here's this actor again, but you actually anticipate getting lost right you certain actors brad pitt may do his thing ben affleck whatever audrey hepburn like I, I think there are certain actors that don't cast a spell in the same way like they're good they they do a decent job but you know who you're watching you know this you know the actor and there are other actors too that in a course of minutes you forget who they are because they've become that character so much and I'm not trying to dive into that. I'm just naming it. Um, Hepburn herself as an actress. Um, I mean, Father Luke, I actually agree with, and I'm interested in everything you say. But one small uh, caveat is I was looking up her bio. She's English. I mean, she's become very American in, in the popular mind. She's, she's English educated. But Audrey Hepburn is mostly Dutch, interesting enough. Born in Brussels, mm. lived mostly in Switzerland. Very cosmopolitan. And her mother and her father, mostly Dutch. They met in Jakarta, Indonesia, actually, the Dutch East Indies and the Indies. And, um, and she also lived through, as a teenager, she deliberately lived through World War II because the Netherlands was annexed by Nazi Germany. Her parents were actually Nazi supporters. Her mother met Adolf Hitler multiple times and was like writing. They were supportive of Nazism until they saw it really bear fruit. But she had two brothers taken off to labor camps. She saw neighbors get put up against the wall and shot. She contemplated suicide. Like, you would never get that. Looking at Audrey Hepburn, this woman comes from recent chapters of really up-close sorrow. There is kind of uh, two meditations on that. I find most Audrey Hepburn movies, this one included, being these, they're two post-war themes. 
one of them is male-female dynamics. Every Audrey Hepburn movie, it's a little bit cat and mouse, male-female. And I don't want to look at that as a time capsule of saying, oh, look, the 1950s and 60s, you know, the male-female dynamics were seen differently by society. There's, there's just a basic thing there without going diving into the topic of feminism or whatever else, is that he is a reporter who's trying to exploit her. She, who is honestly a bit immature and silly... Which is, you know, go go and jump ahead to Audrey Hepburn, My Fair Lady, where she's being educated by Henry Higgins. Go to Breakfast at Tiffany's, where she's flirting with this guy. She usually plays a character where she moves from girl to woman. And that especially takes the form of respect, is that in this, in this sparring match with a man, even though it's fun, even though it provides drama, in the end, just like Gregory Peck in this movie... He comes to respect her. He doesn't hand in the photos. He doesn't publish the piece because he has a sense of her dignity. And I think that's kind of a nice time capsule theme of men and women as competing not toward the same thing or to to try to be absolutely identical, but men and women competing, one as a man, one as a woman, namely different, and yet coming to kind of this beautiful place of respect. That happens in every one of her films, you know. And I think it's a nice theme that she especially embodies. Another post-war theme, what Father Allen touched on, which is more serious than this film shows, is this lightness which comes in post-war to say, okay, we've done enough fighting, let's have some tourism, let's fall in love, let's live a good life, we've suffered enough. And, you know, that's when you treat a, a serious city with Roman history, church history, as now just a place to eat ice cream and ride Vespas. I mean, that's still a pattern, right? We, we're sort of like, let's move on. And I think of the, the Malik film, To the Wonder, where he's, he's bothered by this, right? You see Ben Affleck and that actress, Olga, I forget her last name, uh, and, and they're on a date in Mont Saint-Michel, right? They're in, they're in the cloister garden of a Benedictine monastery, and they're, like, cuddling in the rose garden. It's just like, what in the hell happened to, like, the sacred, the serious, the historic, or is the whole world now just a time? I mean, I was just on a pilgrimage in Vienna, right? And Vienna, you're outside of St. Stephen's Cathedral, built in the late 1100s, a, a medieval masterpiece, a serious city with serious history, um, the clash between East and West in warfare. And most people are eating ice cream and they're taking photos and there's dancers. And it's actually, you know, people saying, well, you're against ice cream, you're against dancing. No, no, but there's, there's something about, like, we are being hurt by world wars, but we're also hurt by the opposite reaction, which is this sort of, let's just treat life less seriously, and let's just get along and do nice things and have and so we forget about serious things like god neighbor liturgy real serious politics instead of just little complaints that grow into etc like i i had a i had a mentor and a college professor who said something which haunts me and he said his dad returned from world war 2 and he said my dad never said this and his friends never said this but you could tell they decided in coming back from the war that we didn't want any more enemies. The world decided we've made enemies enough of each other, no more enemies. But for the spiritual life, if you just think the world's nice and neutral and lovely and you want no more enemies, no more fighting, no more seriousness, it can grow into some pretty weird and serious issues when you take a kind of like a social pacifist, let's get along mentality, which hasn't gone well, right? Um, so I, I do think we see the first inklings of that in these early 1950s films of let's all just move on with life. 
And that's not necessarily playing out well. I think that's important to say. Boy, we've made a lot well, out of Roman holiday. I, uh, I especially like what you said, though, about, uh, I mean, um, in particular about the, uh, just the dynamic between the, the female and male characters in these, these films with Audrey Hepburn, and uh, that, that, that's all well taken. And uh, next time I, I go to Rome, I'm going to um, work hard to, to not, not just be a tourist, um, like you suggest, Father Timothy, but focus on the good things in life, the true things in life, the deep things in life. And I'm not against gelato necessarily. <laughs> Do you, Father? I feel like you need the final word because you are a you were on a five year Roman holiday getting your PhD. No, I mean that is my final word. I <laughs> am not against gelato. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I just want to be very clear about that. I actually think gelato is better than ice cream. Ice cream is too I do hard. Too. Gelato is nice and soft. Yeah, I like it better. I, I disagree, um, but we're out of time. Um, I'll give you this one, just people don't know this. New England is full of dairies that all make their own ice cream, and you can only buy it, like, at the farm. And uh, people think New England IPAs, right, the, the beer scene. People think maple syrup. The ice cream scene is serious, and I want anybody listening to know that. If you want the top three in the Upper Valley, we're going with Stratford, Vermont. Hatchland Creamery in New Hampshire and uh, I always have to put in the top three nothing with New England which is Jenny's out of Columbus Jenny's is it's people need to know they need to know the name I will not argue with that lovely lovely to talk about a lovely film our next one I'm going to say this which when we're recording this has not come out yet it's coming out in a few days and it is said to be devastating we'll see so please we will see in the plaza near your casa I'm only one in one is much too few on an evening in Rome don't know what the country is coming to but in Rome do as the Romans do will you on an evening in Roma Though there's greening and mandolining in sunny Italy The beginning has just begun when the sun goes down Como bella c'è la luna, brille strette, strette Como butto belle fasteggia Sotto cielo de Roma Don't know what the country's coming to But in Rome do as the Romans do Will you On an evening in Roma Sotto cielo de Roma